Jimmy, that was awesome. Rick, you get to listen to that all the time at the house, don't you? <laughs> I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6. For those of you that have been following this summer, I've preached through First and Second Timothy. And I started with Second Timothy, I'm not going to explain why. But we ended with First Timothy last week, and the end of First Timothy led us to Matthew chapter 6. And so it's the Sermon on the Mount, and that's where I'm going to begin today or, or continue today with the Sermon on the Mount. Let me ask you a question. You got friends, right? Everybody here got friends? What, what is it? Don't answer this out loud because your friend may be listening. What is the thing you like least about your friends or your friends in general? What's the thing you like least? Because I did a survey one time, and I did a survey with teenagers. And asked the question, what's the thing you like least about your friends? And the, the number one answer overwhelmingly was, I hate it when they're hypocritical. I hate it when they say one thing in front of my face and something else behind my back. And I don't think that's just exclusive to teenagers. I think we all struggle with that when we have kind of two-faced friends. We have friends that are one way in some environments and a different way in another environment. And Jesus addresses that in the Sermon on the Mount. And you've got to understand, this was a sermon that took up chapters 5, 6, and 7. So it's a fairly lengthy sermon. It takes a little over 18 minutes to read it, but I think the sermon lasted more than 18 minutes. But I do know this, at the end of it, the people who heard the sermon looked at one another and said, wow, we've never heard anybody preach like that. We've never heard our scribes with that kind of authority preach so it's an incredible sermon, most popular sermon, Sermon on the Mount. It's preached right around the Sea of Galilee. There's a hillside that's where they believe it took place. We know it happened somewhere close by. And so there's now a chapel on the mount right there beside the Sea of Galilee, the Mount of Beatitudes. It's where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And he's preaching to people from the Galilee region, but he's also preaching to a lot of Pharisees. And a lot of what he says in the Sermon on the Mount totally turns upside down what they thought, what they had been taught their whole life. He changed the price tags in the window, so to speak. He said, blessed are you if this is the case. Those are the Beatitudes. So we're in chapter 6, and he's talking about being religious. And when you think about what your motive is in life, for your friends who are hypocritical, and can I say sometimes we're hypocritical too? What's our motive? Who are we trying to impress? Who is our ultimate audience? That's why you act one way in one place and one way somewhere else is because the audience changes. If your audience ever becomes the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to act the same way around him you do everybody else because he's always watching. You'll be the same every day. The audience is not going to determine your behavior. So check your motives. What is your motive? Let me read the first few verses. He, he addresses in this chapter 6, he addresses three religious activities. And there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's something good about all three religious activities. He's going to talk about giving. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about fasting. Relax, we're not going to talk about fasting this morning. Just giving and prayer. We'll look at the first four verses and we'll get through verse 13. Jesus speaking, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first thing Jesus says is, don't practice your righteousness before men. Beware. Beware. He's speaking to a group of people who did exactly what he's warning them not to do. The Pharisees especially were incredibly religious people. The problem is, if you look up the word religion and religious in Scripture, it occurs about ten times. And all but one time is something God condemns. Just being religious is not a good thing. There's good religion, and then there's bad religion. Religion that is just a show is not good. In fact, James is, is one place I find where it's used in a good term, and that is, if you're going to practice religion, help take care of orphans and widows in need. Let it make a difference in how you live your life. So Jesus says, beware. Keep your eye on. Guard against doing this. Practicing your righteousness just because it's in front of men. To be noticed. It's interesting. The word noticed here in the Greek is the word theater. It's where we get theater from. So you're play acting. So you're practicing your righteousness when people are looking. You know, the question is, what do you do when people aren't looking? Are, are you still a Christian when people aren't looking? Because if you're not, then I've got to question whether you're a believer or not. So he says, don't do it just to be noticed. Otherwise, you have no reward with the Father. You have a reward. Your reward has been paid in full because you've got the approval of man. You may have got a pat on the back for the way you practice your righteousness, whether it's in giving, prayer, or fasting. But you're not going to get a reward from God because your motive wasn't to please God. Your motive was just to be seen and to get noticed. Your motive was theater and not worship. And so then he says, but when you do give to the poor, don't do it this way. So he's about to say, this is how not to give to the poor. This is how to give to the poor. When you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do. And it, apparently they did this in the synagogues and on the streets. So you're coming through and they're like, bah, bah, bah. they blow a trumpet to get attention Hey, this guy's about to drop some coins in the offering plate. Did y'all notice when we received the offering, we didn't play the trumpet? And, and we try not to do it where you're getting noticed, where the spotlight comes on you. There's some churches that I've heard of that actually the way they give the offering is, if you got $5, you raise it in, in the air and they come and get it. If you're going to give $20, you raise that in the air. They come get it. That's dangerous because what's happening there? You're getting noticed. So you've received your reward in full because you've got the pat on the back. But how do you give? When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Apparently that was a saying of that time. The right hand was known in those that culture to be the hand of action or the hand of power. It's basically saying it ought to be done in secret such that as your right hand gives, your left hand's not even aware of it. Your right hand's giving, not saying, hey, watch this. Perk up, left hand. Now, obviously, your left hand's going to know what he's doing, but what's Jesus? The point Jesus is making is, don't make a show. This isn't theater. You're not on the street waiting for the trumpet to be blasted. You're giving as God instructs you to give. I'll get more specific on that in a minute. So when you do give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your giving will be in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. He doesn't spell out what the reward is in this case or in the one to come about prayer. But there's a reward. 
And if you give so that everybody knows it, your reward is everybody knows it. But if you give in secret, if you give to God the way God instructs us to give, there's a reward. And you go back to Malachi and it says, test me. Give. Honor me with your gifts. And see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you can't even receive it. That's in Malachi. The next verse says, I'll rebuke the devourer. So a principle of giving is, if you give the way God instructs you to, he promised to bless you. Now, does it mean if you give $100 today, you're going to have a Cadillac tomorrow? I can't promise you that. But God will open up the windows of heaven if you test him in this. And he'll even rebuke the devourer. In the days of Malachi, that simply meant, hey, your your vineyard will be productive. Your crops will be productive. I think for us it means this. You can trust in yourself to meet your needs, or you can trust God to meet your needs. And we trust God to meet our needs. Maybe the tire lasts a little, the rubber lasts a little longer on your tire. Maybe the refrigerator lasts a little longer. Why? Because God's promised a blessing. So I can't tell you specifically what the rewards are, but those are a couple that I see just in the book of Malachi that are promised blessings. Let me let me give you just a few principles of giving. I've got four of them. I had a lot more. I, I, just for the point of today, I've kind of shortened those. First principle of giving is for a blessing. I love this. I shared this verse last week as we were talking about giving. Proverbs 11.25, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. It's the principle of blessing. Here's what you can do. You can collect all the money you can possibly earn and save and hoard and just keep it. And you become like the Dead Sea. My second Israel reference, the Dead Sea. What happens to the Dead Sea? The Jordan River flows in it. There's life in the Jordan River. There's no life in the Dead Sea because there's no outlet. It's salty. You can float in it. That's cool. But everything in there is dead. Why? Because there's no outlet from the Dead Sea. The only outlet is tourists like us that go and collect it and bring it home with us. I've got some at the house. They joke about the fact the Dead Sea is drying up. It's not only because of tourists, but we need to quit taking all the water out of there. They're, they're talking about ways to get water back into the Dead Sea. But that's the truth about you. God's principle in giving is, is to be a faithful steward of the resources he's given you. And as you become a river or a stream instead of a pond that hoards it and collects it, God's promised to bless. So you're a blessing, and God's promised that he'll bless you. The second principle is faithful. Be faithful. Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteousness, unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. If you're not generous with little, you're not going to be generous with a lot. I've had people tell me before, I've heard this several times, if I ever hit the lottery, we're, we're going to donate money to church, chapel, you, whatever. We're really going to be we're going to be generous if we ever hit the lottery. I drove through a, a rural area of Tennessee one time, and the pastor who was driving me through said, "Look at that house right there." I said, "What?" He said, "That guy hit the lottery. He hit the lottery. Millions. He built this huge house." He said it wasn't but a few years he was broke and divorced. We think somehow that God's going to shower all this money down on us, and all of a sudden we're going to become good stewards of it. We're not. You know what happens when people make a lot of money? Then they use this excuse, well, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give because that's that'd be a lot of money. Somebody told a preacher that one time. The preacher said, well, then I'll pray that God adjust your income back to where you can afford to, to give, where it won't be so much. 
So be faithful. Be faithful now with what God's entrusted you with now because what does He promise? If He knows you're faithful now with this, He can give you more. You're a good steward because it all belongs to God. Third thought, be purposeful. Be purposeful. 2 Corinthians 9, and, and 2 Corinthians 9 talks a lot about giving. I'm just going to use one verse. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Someone who, when they give, it, it just, they love it. It blesses them to give. But it's done purposefully. It's not done spontaneously necessarily. You can give spontaneously if you're giving to something God's already told you to give to. I've shared the illustration about the guy I was riding down the road with, but I see it happen at Walmart on a regular basis. You walk in Walmart and somebody's got a bucket collecting money outside, don't they? And do you ever feel guilty? you ever feel like they've got a sad story or maybe it's something this or something that and you're thinking, well, I've got to put something in the bucket. That's not purposeful giving if you don't know what the bucket's about. Do you know there's people that raise money that only 10 cents of every dollar goes to the charity you think it's going to? Did you know that? That's sad. And I'm not saying don't give to the people at Walmart. I mean, you're already giving to people inside Walmart, so it's okay to give to the people outside, and this happens at any store. One of, one of the hardest ones to bypass is those little girls. Because not only are you giving them money, they're giving you cookies. It took me a long time to realize those thin mints don't work. They haven't made me any thinner. They're not a diet plan. So what am I saying? Be purposeful. Be intentional. Don't just flip $10 in a bucket that you don't know what the bucket's about. You've got to pray about it. I've already asked you this morning to help support Garden City Chapel in our matching fund. And I said, hey, there's envelopes on the table. Take one with you and pray about it. Ask God, God, should I help support this? And if so, at what level? Don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it out of guilt or shame. Do it intentionally, purposefully. Fourth one is responsive. Acts 2, 45. Acts 2 is where the church is born. And, and it's a beautiful picture of what happens on the day of Pentecost. As a church, 3,000 were saved in one day. And by the time we get to verse 45, it says, They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That was the atmosphere of the church because a lot of folks, the day they came to faith in Christ, they lost their family. They lost their job, their income, their resources. And some of them didn't. They were in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. They didn't even leave because they had nowhere to go now that they've come to faith in Christ. So they stayed in the church. And the church found out they had needs, so people were selling things. If they had an abundance of something and they were able to use resources to meet the need, they did. So it should be responsive to need. But all of this is through prayer. So give to bless others because you get blessed. Give faithfully because God knows what he can trust you with. Give purposefully. And give responsibly. So that's giving. Let's look at praying. Let me read verses 5 through 8. So verse 1 says, Don't practice your righteousness before men. Just be noticed by them. First one's in giving. The second one's in praying. When you pray. 
You're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus is teaching them to pray. In fact, in another instance, the disciples came and said, Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. The same thing that Jesus teaches them is what he's unpacking on the Mount of Beatitudes. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite meant actor. They had actors back in those days that you may play more than one part, but you had a mask you put on. So when the play production was going on, you'd put a mask on. And you may be a guy playing the part of a woman in that particular thing, but you weren't who you were. You were projecting an image, a character. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't play like the hypocrites because what they're doing is performing. We're back to the theater analogy again. They love to stand. Now, is there any problem standing and praying? No, you may have noticed that when I prayed a few minutes ago, I was standing. When David came up and prayed for our offering, he was standing. What are they standing for? They're standing to get noticed, spotlight on me, and then they start praying these long, loud, repetitive prayers that were essentially meaningless. So they were just rotely memorized. When a Jew was born and brought up, they memorized prayers. Now, is there anything wrong with memorizing prayers? I memorized some when I was a kid. One that always bothered me, I don't know if we're praying this prayer anymore, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die, what? <laughs> Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, I don't know if you're three years old, you need to be praying that. But it puts the focus back on God that's watching over you while you're praying. Then there's prayers that the blessing. And they were just rote, rotely. My parents were teaching me to pray. I don't use those rote, memorized prayers anymore. So if you've got children, you're teaching them prayers, that's fine. But don't do like the hypocrites who live all their life just repeating prayers that, that have become meaningless. You're not focused on the words anymore. You're just focused on the activity. And you're doing it to get noticed. You, you only pray in synagogues when there's a crowd gathered or on street corners. A little different. The first word back about giving was you do it out on the street. This is street corners where you can be seen from four directions. This was the thoroughfare. This was the center of town. That's where you're going to pray, and you're going to do it loud. Don't need a trumpet blast. You're going to do it loud so that you can be seen by men. Again, I say to you, they got their reward in full. Why is that? Because what did they want to start with? They wanted to be noticed. They got noticed. So don't expect God to reward that. But when you pray, verse 6, here's how to do it. When you pray, go into the inner room. Homes back in those days had closets in them where valuables were kept. And Jesus said, that's where you go to pray. Because you're talking to the Father, correct? Now, did Jesus always pray in an inner room? No, Jesus prayed in public, but his public prayers typically were very short. His private, personal prayers a lot of times were on the hillside, and they may last all night. So Jesus had been showing prayer. Go in and close the door. And pray to your Father who's in heaven. I wonder sometimes when I hear prayers who people are praying to. Some preachers are guilty of this. Sometimes we preach sermons during the prayer. And so just a reminder, we're praying to the Father. I met a friend of mine at lunch one time. This is when I lived in Gastonia. 
North Carolina. Went in. He was with his father. And I, I walked in, and they happened to be there, so they invited me to sit with them. And they got their food about the time I was placing my order. So I looked at the guy, and I said, uh, have y'all already prayed? He said, well, there's really no point. He's deaf. And I said, well, you're not praying to him. A little light bulb went on. He said, he, he told me years later, he said, I still remember what you said to me in that restaurant. Your dad will still know, hey, Dad, we're about to pray. You bow your head, you start talking to God. You're not talking to him. So when you pray, you're not talking to the people around you. You're talking to Almighty God. So Jesus says you pray to your Father. Remember when you bow your head or when you open your eyes and pray. Who are you talking to? Pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What are the rewards there? Well, one reward would be that he hears us. One reward is he allows us access to the throne room. According to Hebrews, you've been given access. Come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. But don't use meaningless repetition. The word literally, meaningless repetition, one word it means to stutter or stammer. It's idle, worthless chatter. It's easy and it demanded no concentration because you're just repeating stuff over and over again. I don't want to get on you. I don't want to hit you on your bad side this morning. But one of my favorites growing up was we had a guy that every time it's his turn to pray, he always prayed, "God, lead, God, and direct us." You've heard that before. I'm like, isn't that the same thing? Just wouldn't lead us be enough? Guide us, wouldn't that, or, or direct us? But it was rote every time he prayed. That was his prayer: lead, God, and direct. It became meaningless. Because he really wasn't thinking about what he was saying. He was just repeating something that was a formula. And that's the way he always prayed. So don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Because they suppose they're going to be heard for their many words. If you look at some of the heathens praying, you go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah is going up against these false prophets of Baal, and they create their little sacrifice. They're calling on their gods to light. It said they shouted to God from morning till noon for hours. They started cutting themselves, beating their chest. God never heard their prayer because their God was not a live, living, holy God. Elijah called on his God, and God consumed the sacrifice. Acts chapter 19 talks about they prayed loudly for two hours. Because they thought our volume or our content or the amount of time that we speak, God, God's got to hear it because he sees that we're praying around him. I love what Dwight Moody said. Dwight Moody said, if I'm praying with you and you pray for three minutes, I'll pray with you. If you pray for six minutes, I'm going to pray for you. If you pray nine minutes, I'm going to start praying against you. All right, is, is it good to have a nine-minute prayer? It's good to have a half-day of prayer, but you're doing that in the privacy where you're talking to God. You're not talking to other people. So public prayers, the, the pattern of Jesus was they were brief. But private prayers could last all night. Because who are we trying to impress? Our audience is God, not the people that are hearing us pray. So don't be like them. The Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So when you're praying, you're not trying to inform God of something He wasn't already aware of, and yet He still wants us to pray. Because you could step away from this and say, well, if he already need, knows I need it, why do I need to keep telling him? Because there's something about bringing your request before God 
that remind you that you're unable, but he's able. You're not the one that can meet the needs. He is. You're dependent on him, not yourself. I think there's things God hasn't given us because we don't ask. That's what James says. James says you don't have because you don't ask. Or you ask with the wrong motive. God desires to bless you with every good and spiritual gift. In fact, one of the things toward the end of 1 Timothy was he, he gives you everything for your pleasure. That's amazing. So what is your motive in asking? And then he gives us the model prayer. A lot of folks call this the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is really when you prayed in John. This is the model prayer. This is him teaching his disciples, okay, you want to know how to pray? Here's how to pray. Now, be careful because he's already said don't memorize prayers and just repeat them without any meaning. And we've done that with this prayer. So make sure you don't do that without any meaning. Think about what you're saying. Let me read the prayer, verses 9 and following, and we're done. Pray then in this way. So he's told them this is how you don't pray, this is how you pray. But here, here's an example prayer. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pretty short prayer, but it's pretty significant prayer. It starts with worship. It starts by praising God. Your prayers ought to have an element of worship and praise in it. It ought to be adoration of God. To say, God, you're God. You alone are God. Hallowed be your name. You're praying in this way, our Father. One of the things about that is indicates relationship, right? Indicates intimacy. Isn't it awesome that God is our heavenly Father? Regardless of what kind of earthly father you have, you have a perfect heavenly Father. In fact, Psalm says he'll be a father to the fatherless. So some people don't know their father. Their father's passed away. you still got God. He's your father. And the fact you're his son or you're his daughter indicates intimacy. There's sometimes that God teaches me things just by everyday life. This has probably been 20 years ago at, at the Masters Golf Tournament. I'm standing on the practice tee, and we're looking at people practicing. We're thinking of who this guy is and who this guy is. There's this little kid in front of us. It keeps annoying me because he's turning around listening to everything we're saying. We're saying, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. We got to a guy with a straw hat on, and somebody said, who is that? And I said, he looks familiar. I can't remember his name. These kids just looking at me. And finally, we saw the caddy and realized, oh, that's Dan Forsman. He had turned around a little bit more. He had a name tag on. His name tag said Richard Forsman. The reason the kid kept staring at us was, you don't know my daddy, but I do. He could have crawled under the rope and went and given his daddy a hug. If I'd crawled under the rope, I would have been escorted out of the Masters. Why? Because he had a relationship with the guy we were talking about. So just to start your prayer with our Father, just stop for a minute and realize the intimacy of that. Our Father, who is in heaven. The idea of elevation, the idea of this this God is out of this world. He's above this world. He's over this world. Hallowed be your name. You honor God. Whether you ever get to your prayer request or not, start by honoring God in your prayer. And do that every day. Honor God. Your name is holy. Your name is pure. Your name is perfect. And your name 
hallowed be your name. The name of God reveals a lot about God. In fact, it was so holy to the Jews in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even pronounce it. When they came to that word, those four letters that they didn't ever add vowels to, when they came to that, they would say Adonai. They wouldn't say Yahweh. Because His name is holy. Hallowed be your name. His name reveals His character, His nature, His will. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, you're about to pray for things you're hoping God's going to do for you, but if first of all, you say, God, I'm praying for your kingdom and your will. Your kingdom come by me trusting you as my Lord and Savior. You've become king of my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Pray according to his will. And then pray for your needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is hugely important in that culture. You and I are already thinking about lunch, and we're thinking, I want more than bread. But to pray for your daily bread is saying what? God, I'm praying that you would meet my needs this day. I'm not asking you for a month from now. You may have to pray for something for a month from now, but you're saying, God, thank you that you're taking care of me today. So pray for your daily bread. It speaks of continuous dependence on God. And then you ask, you pray for confession. You say, God, forgive me where I've fallen short. Forgive me for my debt. Forgive me for my sin. And with that, forgive me as I forgive those who've sinned or debted against me. And then don't lead us into temptation. So the three things he's praying, meet our needs physically, our daily bread. Forgive us for our debt. And God, don't lead us into temptation which we know from James chapter 1, he doesn't do that anyway. He can't be tempted by evil, and he doesn't lead anyone to be tempted by evil. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then there's that phrase, in some of your Bibles this doesn't even, isn't there. In my Bible, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever, amen. A lot of scholars think that came later, it may have been added. Either way. Good word. So what? I want to close with this thought. What are you doing for God now that nobody notices? Is your spiritual life about performance or is it about pleasing God whether you never get credit and nobody ever pats you on the back? What are you doing now that God is the only one that notices? Whose approval do you seek? We all like people to like us. It's great when people approve of what we're doing. But ultimately, it's way more important that God approves is the people around you. Are you allowing God to speak to you? One of the things about prayer is sometimes you need to listen. You bow your heads. If you do all the talking, it may be that God's trying to get your attention. I used to think sometimes I'd get interrupted by prayer with these thoughts, and then I realized maybe I ought to start writing some of those down. Number one, I wrote them down. I quit focusing on them, but sometimes as God trying to tell me, I want you to do this, or I want to say this to you. Listen up. So are you allowing God to speak to you? Just three thoughts about that. Is there something you need to give? Is God impressing you on your heart to give something, to be a steward financially? Is there someone you need to forgive? It's amazing some people that I meet that still have an unforgiven spirit or an unforgiven attitude towards somebody that happened years ago. And it's destroying them. It's not hurting the person they're not forgiven. It's hurting them. Is there somebody you need to contact? God put somebody on your heart or on your mind today, write their name down. You're going to contact them this week. 
Did you either need to forgive them or you may need to give them something? And then last, what are you praying that, for that only God can accomplish? As we think about praying in a way that honors God, pray big prayers. Pray, pray a prayer that God would lay on your heart and you think, God, if you're not in this, it's going to fail. God, if you don't accomplish this, it won't be accomplished. Because we're praying to Almighty God, the ruler of the universe. Let's pray together. Father, as we bow our heads, we acknowledge that you've called us how to pray. And God, we, we start by just saying our Father. Thank you that you are a Father who loves his children. And if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they've never trusted you for salvation, I pray today would be the day of salvation. But God, for those of us who are walking with you, help us to remember you're our Heavenly Father who loves us. And God, your name is to be raised. It is to be hallowed. It is to be adored. It is holy and perfect and righteous. And God, we pray for your will to be done. God, we don't want our will done. We want your will to be done. We want our will to be brought in accordance with yours. You've told us if we pray anything in your name, according to your will, it will be done. It will be accomplished. So, Lord, I know there's things in our lives you're changing our want to. You're showing us your will, and that's what we want. God, meet our needs. Meet our daily needs for provision, Lord. Forgive us where we fail and come short and we boast. And Lord, protect us from the evildoer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Y'all stand as we close with.